Hello lacrosse friends and welcome back to Box of the Beat. We're back after taking family day off. I hope you enjoyed your family day or if you're living somewhere where they don't celebrate family day that you enjoyed your week in and around the National Lacrosse League and the world of lacrosse. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host and an editor at ILindoor.com where you can find the best of lacrosse coverage on the internet. Thanks for being with me. This week we will look at Brody Merrill's record in the National Lacrosse League. He is now the all-time loose ball king. We will take a look ahead at the week to come in the National Lacrosse League. We'll take a look at the Arena Lacrosse League as we do each week. And this week, it is all about the records being broken in the ALL. And I have a terrific guest. Kevin Orleman is the goaltender for the Georgia Swarm. He played in the Calgary at Georgia game on the weekend. And he hasn't got a chance to play a whole lot in the National Lacrosse League, but he is a very promising prospect still, as he was a few years ago when he was drafted, and he's had some great summers with the Coburg Kodiaks in Major Series Lacrosse, and is on the rise as a prospect in net, but we talk about the process of being a backup goalie, what you do in practice, what you do in games, we talk about him being mic'd up uh, in the game on the weekend, and we talk about the difference between the nets and the sticks between winter and summer lacrosse, about having his little brother on the squad, and the dreams they've always had for their National Lacrosse League present and future, and a lot of other stuff. It's a really fun conversation with a, with a very bright and thoughtful young man, Kevin Orleman of the Georgia Swarm, this week on Box Beat. There was a huge moment during week 13 of the National Lacrosse League season for Brody Merrill and his San Diego Seals teammates, obviously his coach and GM, Patrick Merrill, his brother, and a lot of people who have followed his career and been fans and friends and teammates of Brody Merrill throughout the years. And I just want to share with you a little behind-the-scenes story of how a very cool tribute from Jim Veltman came to be played on the message board when Brody Merrill broke the all-time career loose balls record on Saturday in, Los, in uh, San Diego. I wrote a story, my musings, last week, and in it I mentioned that Brody Merrill was eight loose balls away from breaking the record that had been set by Jim Veltman, the longtime Toronto Rock captain, the Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats, in the game and one of the great ambassadors for the game of lacrosse. I got an email and it was actually while I was driving to a, uh, a game to call an arena lacrosse league game on a Friday. So there's a bit of back and forth. I had to wait until, uh, well, I, I was able to make a phone call with my hands free, but I couldn't deal with, with emails. Anyway, Jim Veltman got in touch and said, hey, do you have the contact info for Brody? I really want to send him a congratulatory message when he breaks the record, which I thought was a very classy thing of Jim to want to do. So I wanted to make sure I had the right number for Brody, because I don't know that I'd called him in a little while, but I didn't want to tip him off. I wanted to make sure it was still a surprise, because I thought it was a really neat thing, and it would be a really neater thing if it's a surprise. So I got in touch with Hannah Kosh, the wonderful media relations person for the San Diego Seals, 
and told her what Jim wanted to do. I wanted to say, hey, and said, I just want to make sure we don't tip Brody off. So can you make sure I've got the right number? And she said, yeah, I'll send you the number, the current one. And do you think Jim would do a video saying congratulations that we could run during the game? And my response was, I'm sure he would, as long as he doesn't think it's going to take away from Brody's moment, because that is definitely something Jim Veltman would not want to do. Um, so I broached it with Jim, and he sent me a video and said, how's this? And it was perfect. So he passed it on to me. I sent it along to Hannah Kosh, and I said, that's great. And then when Brody Merrill broke the record, they went to a break, they come back, and they announce over the PA that he has broken the all-time record, and voila, up on the Jumbotron and on the BR Live broadcast, there is the message from Jim Veltman that you saw if you were watching the game saying congratulations and what a great amount of work it is and, you know, you're a great player and ambassador and, um, you know, congratulating Brody Merrill. And uh, I just thought it was pretty cool. And you could see the emotion in Brody Merrill. Um, I actually talked to Doug Locker, the color commentator, and he said he was kind of choking up in the booth a little. And he talked to Patrick Merrill, and he said he was choking up a little bit with the moment and the emotion and uh, the tribute. So I just thought that was very cool. And it, to me, showed, one, what Jim Veltman thinks of Brody Merrill and what we all think of Brody Merrill as a great player and leader in the sport. And also I thought it reflected very well on Jim Veltman that he wanted to reach out and that's how it came about. Um, it was very neat to have it there. Kudos to Hannah Kosh for jumping on board and, and helping to make things happen. And of course, Jim Veltman for being the uh, legendary player and person and ambassador for lacrosse that he is. Just a little background on how that very neat moment came together in week 13 of the National Lacrosse League season. Joining me on Box the Beat from the Georgia Swarm goaltender, Kevin Orleman. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, it's, uh, I mean, we don't have a lot of backup goalies on, but here you played on the weekend, you're, you're getting some time in, and you're, I, I feel, still a, a guy who's, like that far away from being the starter for someone and being a, a franchise goal. And I'm just, uh, I want to talk about some of those things. Um, so I guess, first of all, what I wonder what the challenge is like backing up when you know you're, I'm sure you're confident that you can play in the NLL. You're backing up a guy in Mike Poole, and who's not just a very good goalie and coming off a fantastic year, but probably an even better person and teammate. Um, what's the whole process like working with, with Poole and with the team? Um... Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there's there's definitely uh, pros and cons to the whole whole situation. I mean, like you mentioned, Cooley is uh, you got to be one of the premier goalies in the league, right? And and like you said, he's also just a great guy. So um, he's he's been a real mentor uh, through the whole through the whole uh, situation. Um, obviously, it's hard to get games when when he when he plays just so well and he's so steady and, and he's always on. Um, but yeah, just just uh, kind of rolling with with the whole with the whole situation and uh, taking my opportunities as they come and just trying to make the most of those. It's tricky with the way the schedule is. I know that a lot of players have talked about and coaches have talked about. There's a lot of bye weeks. Um, the way the schedule is laid out right now, which is you know, there's challenges with arenas. There's a lot of different factors. But in terms of the way it works out for you guys, most starting goalies. If there are bye weeks, they're going to play pretty much every game, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, Pooley's not young, but he's not old either, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's he's more than capable of playing um, the whole eighteen game uh, season if if he wants to. And uh, um, so it's it's uh, it is what it is. And, and like I said, you, you make the most of those opportunities when they come. And, and if they don't, you just uh, try to be a good teammate and, and get better in practice. Hey, since you've, you've talked about practice and getting better there, I'm, I'm curious what the process is like with you guys, both in practice and on game day. So in a practice, I mean, a lot of time at practice, and I've been to some, some NLL team practices and, and shoot-arounds and that, a lot of time you guys are split up through there's group, different groups at different ends of the floor. So you get a ton of shots. Like it's fairly even distribution in practice, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and, uh, and when we're not split up, uh, that means like Steven's traveling with us, uh, my brother, a third string goalie. Right. Um, and, and that allowed me to spend more time with Pooley and, and watch like sort of the things that he's doing and, uh, maybe his angles, how he, how he plays a certain style of shot, um, and, and learn from him in that way, as well as ask questions while I'm in the net and, and make sure that he thinks I'm doing things, uh, right. Or if there's something that he thinks I should change. Um, yeah, like you said, obviously we get a ton of shots um, in in the practices and in the morning shoot-around and warm-ups and that kind of thing. So um, it, it is good in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, practice reps aren't, aren't the same as game reps, but uh, yeah. you're still taking shots from guys like Lyle Thompson every practice, and you're only going to get better from that. And then when it comes to game day, when you're the starter, or if Mike's the starter, as he generally is right now, um, I'm curious how that's split up. The big thing, obviously a starter will take the, the shots that he wants in the in the warm-up. I'm curious how much yeah. of that is set ahead of time, and how much is just, as it goes, he kind of just says, okay, you're in, or, or how much it just is based on how he's feeling during the warm-up. Yeah, so it's, a, it's our third year playing together, so yeah. um, you kind of got it down pretty good at this point, I think. There's no like real talking about it. We kind of know uh, what he wants, what he doesn't want, uh, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, if I start, it kind of throws a, <laughs> a little bit of a wrench in the plan just because it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we're both pretty uh, pretty easy with the whole whole situation, and uh, we just kind of roll with it. And, and uh, there's not there's no real problems with the whole the whole thing. Do you have a different way? I mean. Obviously, you've started a ton of games in junior on your way up. You started in senior A. Um, you've, you've played a ton of, of games. Do you have a different approach or number of shots you like to take or the amount of time you like to spend in the net and how much time you like to spend stretching when you're starting versus um, the way some other guys do? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think the biggest focus um, when you're starting is you want to get enough shots to, to really feel the ball, get a good feel for, for your angles and, and how you're moving. Um, but you don't want to tire yourself out because um, obviously you need energy for the game. Um, whereas when you're backing up, you kind of just you're, you're there for the, for the shooters, right, to, to make sure they're hitting their, their spots. So you're going to kind of go a little harder, go to the very end um, to make sure the boys are ready. But, yeah, when you're starting, um, you definitely hold back a little bit more in the warm-ups. One thing I've noticed with you in, in Coburg when you're starting all the time is you seem to like to spend some time on your own, which, I mean, goalies, pitchers, 
quarterbacks and guys who are in sort of different <laughs> positions. You see that sometimes. And I've noticed you sitting on the, the bench um, away from the rest of the team, wearing your headphones, obviously just kind of focusing in sometimes at points before the game, sometimes in intermissions and that. Is that something that, that you do to just kind of help you stay focused and, and do your visualization? or And when did that start? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is, and, and honestly, I've, I've been doing it ever since, like, uh, minor lacrosse, um, and I, I, I've always just been uh, very focused on my mental game and, and uh, my mental preparation and making sure uh, I'm getting my mind right before the game. Like you said, I, I, I like to um, sort of visualize, like, how I want to play in the net, um, think about the shooters that I'm going to be facing that night and, and sort of their tendencies. Um, and what they kind of like to do. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I'm just sort of trying to clear my mind, um, focus on the task at hand, which is obviously the game, and, and, uh, and just sort of thinking about uh, that. I want to touch on something from the weekend, uh, because you came into play, you're in a, in a, you know, it was a very high-scoring game, it was a, uh, a thrilling game for a lot, of, a lot of people. It was exciting, not the tidiest game necessarily defensively in that, but you know, an eighteen seventeen overtime win by Calgary in Georgia. And when you came in, you were mic'd up. So we got to hear you talking to Mike Poolin when he was over at the bench on a break, uh, which I guess was the idea what they figured they'd get and hearing some things from the bench and that. But then you go into the net and I was really thinking, okay, now we're gonna hear what goalies actually say while they're out there. We didn't really get a lot of it. I'm very curious how much you talk. Like I've heard some goalies who are constantly like Top left, top right, balls over here, balls there, like constantly yelling. Yeah. And there are other guys who are more like talking to the defenders about specific movements, picks, whatever. What, what do you talk about and how much do you talk? Yeah, so um, obviously I, I, I actually just rewatched the game for the first time today. Um, so so I was also uh, listening for that. Right. Um, I think they only, they only like cut to me maybe once or twice to actually like um, – listen in on what I was saying but mm-hmm. throughout, throughout the, the game you can you do they do pick up my audio in the background while all the play-by-play guys are, are going and you can hear me talking to the guys and and I do think I am a pretty vocal goalie and I try to I try to sort of quarterback my defense while I'm out there and, and help them out with that with that stuff uh, let them know uh, if they're in the right position um, if they need to be funneling a guy up or if they can sort of bring them down into the corner, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was a, a pretty cool experience uh, to get to wear the mic and, and how, how they picked it up on in the game. I thought it was uh, neat when they, they, had, they brought you up when you were talking to the ref at one point. I think it was Blair Ferguson. <laughs> was down yeah. in the corner, and you're saying, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. Because there was, I believe it was a shot that they said, Touched you and went out of play, yeah, and you were saying it didn't. Yeah, right? went out of play, but uh, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure if you look at the footage, it's it's pretty clear that the shot went wide, and I was I was just letting them know. And, and I, I try to obviously um, the game is intense. Everyone's trying to win. I, I try not to get let my emotions get the best of me in those situations, and I try to be respectful when I talk to the officials. Um, so I, I, I just try to talk to them and not be. Uh, like rude or anything like that. Just let them know, like, hey, man, just uh, just be aware. I, I think that maybe you made the wrong call there, but uh, not in a disrespectful kind of manner. I thought you were very calm and respectful. 
I, I was actually like, I, I don't know if I would have been quite that calm and respectful. <laughs> and, and I came like, I might have been like, Fergie, come on, come on, you know that didn't yeah. hit me. And you're just like, I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you. Yes, I mean, I've, I've, I've Fergie's refed a ton of, of my games uh, through junior and, and senior, so I, I I know I have that relationship with him. I, I think I know when I can kind of push it. I know he's going to push back at me, um, that kind of thing. So uh, I was just, I just tried to be respectful with all the refs, obviously. I mean, it's a hard job that they have to do, and, and they're making these calls on the fly, right? So yeah. <laughs> I never want to lose my cool too bad. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the about the summer. You've mentioned Coburg, and, and I've talked about it. And one of the things is it's such a different style of game, uh, generally considered to be a more physical game in the summer, um, which changes the way that that shots are available because it's it's you know there's more checking allowed off ball, which makes it harder for some of the cuts and some of the movement we're used to seeing in the NLL. Um, also, of course, the wider nets in the winter and you have the big wooden sticks in the summer versus the smaller plastic in the, in the winter. And I'm curious what the difference is in terms of, of playing, you know, jumping from one to the other. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a huge difference. Um, when you're first getting into the, into the pro league, especially, mm-hmm. um, going, going from those, uh, senior or junior summer nets, uh, into the pro nets, it's like, um, it's like all of a sudden you're trying to block someone from shooting into the ocean sometimes it feels like. So uh, it, it, it is a little challenging uh, just getting used to the new angles, that kind of thing, and uh, trying not to like run around and, and uh, be everywhere at once. Um, but I've, I've sort of, uh, over the years, I've tried to focus on kind of uh, just being more conservative with my movements, not running all around, around all over the place when I'm, when I'm in the nets. Because um, it is... It is um, kind of a, a daunting task when you, when you first get into it. And I know a lot, like people who aren't that familiar, maybe, or don't, if you don't think too much about it, you can be like, oh, it's only three inches difference. The width of the net is that big, that big a deal. That's the width of a ball. And as a goalie, yeah. when you're basing on, I have to take this post away. Well, if you take that yeah. post away in the summer, they're still, they can still score on it in the winter. Absolutely. And, um, especially like, um, these premier players in the, in the in the league. I mean, they can already they can already put the ball um, on a dime when they have when they need to uh, in the summer, and then you give them that extra room in the winter, like you mentioned, bigger net, smaller stick, uh, smaller pads. Um, so <laughs> it seems like a recipe for disaster yeah. um, for goaltenders sometimes. Um, but uh, you just make the most of it, and, and, and uh, you adjust uh, slowly over time, just getting used to it. Yeah. I guess one of the big adjustments too is, and you see, I, I find you see it the most, it's the most obvious in the summer when the summer season gets going in WLA and MSL and, and guys, players are shooting five hole and, yeah. and it's so easy as an observer from the outside to say, there's no five hole there or not much of a five hole with the big wooden sticks, but it's, you, you get into that habit in this, in the winter, five hole is such a good shot because if you can get the goalie yeah. moving, there will be a spot, right? So that has to affect yeah. how you have to play. Oh, absolutely. I'm, um, I'm pretty stand up. I'd say in the summer, you never really have to go down unless you're really sprawling out. Um, if they're, if they're shooting far, far low corner or something like that, you never have to like go down to the butterfly or something to, to cover your 
five hole. Uh, and then moving into the winter, obviously, five hole is probably one of your your biggest um, areas that you need to cover because, like you mentioned, guys guys love shooting there, and it's and it's such an easy target for for these guys all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it is a, it is a huge adjustment uh, for goalies coming in and, and having that uh, that five hole be a, a big target for shooters. The other factor with the sticks from the winter to the summer is. A lot of people, I think, find it easier to throw with the, the smaller, lighter plastic sticks that you use in the National mm-hmm. Lacrosse League. But you seem to do just fine. You were actually, you. I'm pretty sure you at one point led the Coburg Kodiaks in assists <laughs> a couple summers ago, playing with that big wooden stick. Just Now, to, to be fair, part of it was you can just throw the ball down the floor and hit Joey Capito and Scott Dominey, <laughs> and that helps. But... Uh, you seem to be able to throw just fine with the wood. Did you find much of a difference? Um, uh, yeah, I, I do find a big difference in um, the technique for throwing. Obviously, it is a lot easier to throw with the, with the plastic, the smaller sticks. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have no problem throwing throwing with the, the big woody in the summer either. And and like you mentioned, it, it makes my job really easy when yeah. uh, in the summer our whole tactic is uh, to run and gun and 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 outrun these these other teams. And have guys like like Joey running out the back end, making my job real easy. Yeah. The uh, the one thing I mean, I don't know if people understand how hard it is, and I don't think most do. I didn't, to be honest. And then a few years ago, I played in net for a game or two for the uh, the old guys league that I play in, uh, because somebody was away and they asked me. I was like, you know, it doesn't really sound like fun, but it sounds interesting. I've never done it. <laughs> I'll give it a go. So I get all the stuff on, and honestly, I put the helmet on. I think the helmet was too small for me, so I didn't feel like I was getting enough blood to my body the whole time anyway, and my brain wasn't working. But I was thinking, oh, the fun part is going to be throwing some long passes with the stick. I I could barely keep from dropping the ball into my own net when I tried to lift it up and throw it. And you're throwing the ball, and and honestly, I got a couple that kind of went where I was aiming, but for the most part, it's like, I, I understand why sometimes a goalie just hooks one right up into the crowd or something. It's, it's that's a lot of weight, and you, you can barely feel where the ball is in the stick. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely tough if you're not used to the stick that you're using. Yeah. Um, but I think that's something that comes with time and and, and practice and, and just getting getting reps with uh with it. And you know what? You've just given, made me think that. It hadn't really occurred to me. It might have just been that the guy's stick I was wearing was not a good stick. Maybe it wasn't my fault yeah. or not. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure uh, if other goalies used my, my summer stick, uh, they'd probably be thrown straight into the ground or, or all over the place because it is, it is a weird one to use, and I've just kind of found that sweet spot that, that lets me get those passes off well. It's funny how sticks are so individual, right? I remember as in Finland, a few summers ago now for the uh, European Championship, and I hadn't brought you know I hadn't brought a stick or anything with me, but we were going to be playing a game. Yeah. All the like non-playing people got to go and play a game, which was really fun. And so I borrowed one of the local guys, one of the local players' sticks, and the first ball I tried to throw went up into the mesh above the boards. <laughs> and I was like, "What are you doing?" And I tried to throw. I could not throw a ball with this guy. It's so much whip in it. I couldn't. I had no idea what the ball was doing. And then I borrowed another one. I was fine. I actually got three goals in the. In the game, it was, it was cool, right? But not a big deal. Eh? Not a big deal. I just I just put up the old Hattie, but uh, yeah. I actually almost got a fourth one. But I took a little extra time on the on the crease, threw one fake near side, went far side. I was just coming back near post, had him, had him yeah. going in off the pipe, and I got smoked. 
A guy cross checked me right oh, in the middle man. of the back, flattened me. It was like, yeah, right, you can't just stand here for three, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man! But uh, no, I was curious about that. Now the other thing I wanted to ask about, and you mentioned earlier uh, your brother Stephen being with the club um, on the practice squad right now, and I can't think of another pair of brothers who have been goalies on a pro team together. Um, do you know of any? Has anyone ever been like, oh, that's just like these guys no. back in the <laughs> in the nineties? No, I, I can't. Not not uh, for goalie brothers, anyway. Yeah. Um, there's tons of brothers, like, right? The Merrills or the Sanders. Yeah, there's 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 been a, a bunch of players, but when it comes to goalies, no. Um, as far as I'm aware, we're kind of uh, two of a kind. I think. Yeah. <laughs> How is that? I know. Uh, He's playing in the Arena Lacrosse League for the Paris River Wolves. And by the way, you should go and watch uh, the game from Saturday. He made maybe the save of the year in the uh, really, yeah. towards the end of that game. It was it was a beauty. And uh, I know you're, I know you're a big fan, obviously, of your, of your younger brother. But uh, what's yeah. it like? I mean, I guess the two of you when you when he is coming to Georgia games, I assume you guys get to travel together. Yeah. Um, so. It's it's uh it's pretty cool getting to play with Stevie. Obviously, uh, we are roommates. Like when we go on the road and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, it's it's kind of been a bit of a dream come true. Honestly, uh, we used to talk about playing in the NLL uh, against each other. We always figured it would be uh, yeah. when we were younger, and and uh, so to get the opportunity to actually be on on a team together is uh, is uh, pretty cool, and we're definitely. Uh, uh, cherishing it. Ultimately, I mean, obviously, you both want to be starters. You both want to play. So, I guess ultimately, the goal would be to be playing against each other. But it, it's got to be fun to to get to experience some of it together on the same team for for a while, at least. Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, we're, we're both competitors. We both uh, want to be the best at uh, possible at our position. So. Um, yeah, the ultimate goal is obviously to work just both to be starters. Um, uh, but in the meantime, we're we're just uh, taking it taking it one step at a time and enjoying the ride uh, and uh, enjoying being teammates. Uh, yeah, like I said, obviously down the road, both have eyes on starting roles, so probably it probably can't last forever. But it's pretty yeah. cool in the meantime. One other thing I'm curious about is uh, I always think of you and Doug Jamison and Warren Hill as kind of a trio, as being linked because you were very strong prospects coming into the 2016 draft. I can't remember where I ranked the three of you, but I think I had you all going pretty much right in a row. I thought, you know, once one of them goes, they're probably all going to go. As it turns out, of course, you did. You went at 18th to, to Buffalo, then Doug Jamison goes, then Warren Hill goes, and you've each had, so you and, you and uh, Warren were actually briefly teammates, right, in Georgia? Yeah, that's right. And then, but everyone's kind of moved around and everyone's had their, you know, different paths. Now, uh, you know, Doug and, and Warren are, are uh, getting their starting chances, which I, I'm confident is going to happen for you as well. I just think the three of you, is, it's such a cool story that you all, all came out at the same time. You all were taken so close together and you're all kind of making your way in the league. Do you think, see yourselves as kind of linked as well? Or is that just me imagining things? <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not sure how they feel about it. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy for them. Uh, seeing them thriving at, at, at the position is, uh, is, is so cool. And, and uh, it's, it's obviously, um, 
really happy for war. Like you said, we were we were teammates for a little bit uh, for a season in uh, Georgia, and now mm-hmm. seeing him getting a shot at being a starter and 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 thriving at the position in Halifax is is awesome. It it is uh, kind of hard to not compare yourself right. um, to your peers in that kind of situation and see how great they're doing. Um, but I mean. I, I'm I'm super happy uh, with where I am, and, and I know, like you said, I think my shot's going to come eventually. I'm I'm not rushing it, um, but yeah, just just rolling with it. And I I think I, I can see how it would be difficult, right? Because you you know you see them getting their chance a little before you you are. But to me, it's also a a thing like, hey, these are guys that you're compared to at the time that you're obviously all three very strong goalies and it's just a matter of getting the chance and I would think that gives you hope and and I don't mean to you know talk too much about being a backup because I know you want to be a starter at some point but it is a process for goaltenders that isn't like what anyone else goes through right yeah exactly it's um it's very different from from sort of being a player in the league um there's what 20 player roster spots available up for grabs and, and only two goalie spots, right? So uh, it's definitely a much more exclusive club to try to to crack your way into. Um, but uh, like you said, you just make the most of those opportunities when, when they come to you and uh, and uh, just stay positive, work hard, and, and uh, yeah, and whatever happens, happens. Appreciate you taking the time to come on and being so open and uh, um just always enjoy getting to chat with your games and getting to watch you when I uh, have a chance to see you play. So uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Stephen. I uh, appreciate all you do uh, to help grow our game. Uh, keep up the great work, and thanks for having me on. Listen, what's that sound? Uh, that's the sound of records falling all over the Arena Lacrosse League in Week 10 of the all-season. The biggest one was set by Brian Newfeld, even though his St. Catharines Shockwave lost 24-18 to to the Oshawa Outlaws. Among those 18 Shockwave goals, Newfeld had 5 goals and 11 assists for a 16-point night to break the record of 14 points set by Luke Laskowitz just a couple weeks earlier. So a big week for Newfeld, and he is on track to break some more records. He's going to have to duel with John St. John, though. The defending league scoring champion has tied the single-season points record of 83 set by Austin Murphy back in the 2018 season, and... St. John and his Outlaws teammates have three games to go, but Newfeld has a game in hand on St. John and a chance to pull ahead. He's averaging 8.1 points per game, giving him 81 through 10 games, and he plays this weekend while the Outlaws have Week 11 off. So Newfeld seems a pretty much a lock the way he has been scoring this year to move ahead of St. John, and to break Austin Murphy's record. Luke Laskowitz has already set the league goals record. He's got 46 through his 10 games. He did miss one game with Oshawa, and with a few games left to go, he seems like a pretty good bet, since he's averaging 4.6 per game, to get at least four more in those final three games and become the first 50-goal scorer in Arena Lacrosse League history. And a lot of things happening 
around the league on the weekend. The big thing, probably from a standings perspective, is that Whitby and Paris both win another game, both move to 8-2, and two, and really establishing themselves as they already were, but really solidifying their standing as the leaders in the league. Very interesting as they have played a couple of games. Whitby won big early in the season. Paris won by a single game over Whitby. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out down the stretch. Uh, then you've got a jumble of four teams with Peterborough Timberman at 5-4, and four, St. Catharines Shockwave at 4-6, and six, six Nations Snipers at 4-6 and six after a very slow start to the season. They are on a roll, and the Oshawa Outlaws have dropped to 4-7 and seven after splitting their weekend. So four teams all within a couple of games in the middle. The Toronto Monarchs at 2-8 have fallen behind. They could still catch the group with four wins, but they're going to have to get things rolling a little bit. The big thing for Toronto is having trouble scoring goals, just 92 through 10 games. Everyone else in the league has at least 114, and that's Peterborough with nine games. All the other teams who have played 10 games or more have at least 122 goals. So 30 goals behind in the scoring front for the Monarchs, which negates the fact that they're a pretty decent club, only allowing 122 goals against, which puts them middle of the pack. So from Whitby down to Toronto, quite a spread, but within the different groups in the league, there's some pretty tight competition, in particular that race for first place between the Paris Riverwolves and the Whitby Steelhawks. Week 14 will be a busy one in the National Lacrosse League. Eight games with only 13 teams in the league. Of course, that means three teams will play a couple of games on the weekend. That's New England, Halifax, and New York, all with double headers. And the two biggest games of the weekend, one does involve one of those teams. It is the first game for Halifax on the weekend. Saturday, they will head to Buffalo in a critical North Division matchup. All those North Division matchups between Halifax, Buffalo, and Toronto, very important as we get further and further into the season. Those three teams battling for clearly the top two spots in the division that will give them direct passage to the playoffs. You've got to figure the third team will also make the playoffs, but what a difference as that third team can be no higher than the seventh seed, meaning they would be playing one of the top two teams, two seeds in the first round of the playoffs. So a big battle there, especially because, of course, that seventh seed will go on the road for the first round to play the second place team and the eighth place eighth seed will play at the home of the first seed in that first round of playoffs. So pretty big deal where you finish in the pecking order within the division. The other big game for the weekend also features a North division team, but it is the Toronto rock will be facing the Saskatchewan rush in Saskatoon. And there the big thing is Saskatchewan is on a roll. They have moved up to second in the NLL overall in terms of winning percentage at 6 and 2, Toronto and Buffalo both 6 and 3, Halifax is at 7 and 2. Uh, so those are the top 4 teams Philly is lurking just behind at 7 and 4. So that Toronto Saskatchewan game a big one as we see a couple of teams that are on a on a bit of a roll for Saskatchewan and that were on a roll Toronto and then losing a tight one the 9-8 contest in a terrific matchup last weekend in Halifax. We'll try and get it rolling again. 
Go and check out on Twitter the NLL Fact of the Day put out by Graham Perro daily throughout the course of the season. He pointed out an interesting little sequence the Toronto has faced. They lost their opening game, won their next three. Lost their next game, won their next three. Lost their next game. As he scientifically points out, they obviously are going to win the next three games. I think Saskatchewan will have something to say about that. They're going to try and keep rolling and get that seventh win to keep up with the top teams in the league. So those are the two key games for everyone to keep an eye on. But there are some other dandy matchups. Um, New England has a pair. Bookending. They start with a trip to New York on Friday, uh, where they'll obviously be favored uh, against the 1-9 Riptide. Then on Sunday, they'll be back home playing the Halifax Thunderbirds, who will have played 22 hours earlier in Buffalo. We'll see whether that back-to-back helps Halifax, as it seems to do fairly often for NLL teams, or if it's just too much with the game in Buffalo, the travel to New England, and then having to play the game. We'll see how they do in the second half of the game, which is the second half of their back-to-back road games for the weekend. Uh, Philadelphia is in Colorado, which is a real prove-it game for Philadelphia to show that they are legitimately the team that we've all thought they looked like so far this season. Of course, they lost 15-10 to Saskatchewan last week, so you want if you're a Wings fan or a Wings player, to get your confidence back, get back in the winning column, and keep rolling along with the other top contenders in the East Division. They actually sit first in the division at this point. A key West Division matchup between San Diego and Calgary. Again, only two spots per division go directly to the playoffs. And the way that the West is sitting right now, it certainly looks like they're going to be challenged, those uh, those teams further down. They all have losing records except for Saskatchewan at 6-2. Calgary's in at 500-4-4 and with plenty of games to play. But Colorado, San Diego, Vancouver, all just below 500. So obviously they can't afford a lot more losses. One of them, San Diego or Calgary, one of those teams in that mix, is going to get a loss. Of course, one of them will get a win and start moving closer to playoff positioning. And Vancouver... The other team in the West will be playing the Georgia Swarm, who, of course, had the crushing loss last weekend in overtime, 18-17, to the Calgary Roughnecks. A great comeback by Georgia. I have to think we're going to see lower-scoring games than that, 18-17. Of course, New England also putting up 18 last week and a big win over Rochester. Um, it's been a very low-scoring season overall. The Halifax-Toronto 9-8 game was really pretty indicative of the way a lot of things have gone this year. That's why so many goalies have great save percentages. There's been some really tight defensive battles, and it'll be interesting to see as we continue on into the second half of the season whether that low-scoring trend continues or do those scores start to build up, as we saw a little bit last weekend in Week 13. So, interesting stuff ahead. Week 14 of the National Lacrosse League season. And, of course, we'll look back at it next week on Box the Beat. All right, lacrosse friends, that'll wrap things up for Episode 13 of Season 8 of Box the Beat. I am, as always, your host, Stephen Stamp, also an editor at ILindoor.com, where you can find the best of lacrosse coverage on the internet this week a bit of a tip you can go and check out 
the IL Indoor Staff Midseason Player Awards. The, we pick amongst the six of us. We have voted and we've picked our MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defender of the Year, Transition Player of the Year, and a Goalie of the Year of the mid-season, that is. So for half the year, which we reached last week in the National Cross League, the midpoint in the games of the 2020 season. Make sure you come back next week for lots more on Box Labeat.